You guys can hear me? Uh, th that video will make more sense in a little bit for a second. I know it's kind of out of nowhere, but just, just stick with me here. Welcome to the 8th. We are having kind of this one-off talk that's kind of not related to any other series, uh, but um, again, I'll connect the dots here in a second. One of the things I love so much about ancient Christianity is that it is so full. And what I mean by that is that it's not just this one aspect of spirituality, but everything is connected. How we look at mental health, physical health, emotional health, relational health, sexual health, so forth and so on, all of this is part of the fullness of understanding Christian theology, and especially in the lens of the organic first century understanding of Christianity. Just to give one small example of how this is expressed through the sacramental life of the church, through the sacraments, when someone is baptized into the church, the church anoints them with a holy oil, with a chrism oil, and anoints every joint of their body. Why? Couldn't you just say, oh, someone's baptized and that's about it? But the church is wanting to say every aspect of this human being belongs to the king of kings. So every joint of that person's body is, 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 is anointed. We, we did it for a baby. For obvious reasons, we don't do it fully for adults, you know, for every aspect of their body. But this is the ancient tradition of how someone is consecrated. And the etymology of the word consecrated is they're set apart. They're set apart for something so much bigger. And so the church doesn't just say you're baptized and this is awesome, you're with Jesus, and end of, end of, end of story. No, it is so full that we're saying every aspect of this person is now anointed for a mission of being a follower of Jesus and being grafted into him. Another example I want to share with you is that there is an ancient Christian uh, father by the name of St. Basil. He's very common because the liturgical text that we use on a regular basis is written by him in the 4th century. And, we, and this is a common liturgical prayer in which we pray from the 4th century till now. Purify our bodies, our hearts, our souls, our spirits, our eyes, our understanding, our thoughts, and our consciences. You, you want to talk about being full and being holistic? I'm just asking a rhetorical question. What's the difference between understanding, thoughts, and conscience? Like you see how precise the early church understood that we're looking for edification, salvation, wholeness, and every aspect of the human being. Because all of this belongs to God. He's not just saying, God bless me. See how detailed and precise he is of coming to God with this beautiful prayer. He continues. So he's saying, purify me from all these aspects of who I am, so that with a pure heart, an enlightened soul, an unashamed countenance, a faith that does not shake, a faith that's not circumstantial. When things are good, my faith is strong. When things are bad, where, where on earth is God? He doesn't exist. No, I, I, I want a faith that's unfeigned. I want the epitome and the perfection of what divine love is. I want to have firm hope that we may dare with boldness, not uh, without fear, like I'm scared, for us to pray to you, O God. Not just God as, as far as the deity, but God who is Father, who is in the heavens, and say. Like, I love 
He's so intentional of the language he's using of talking about the fullness of how we come to God with our weakness and our struggles, mentally related, physically related, emotionally related, relationally related, you name it. We're asking God purifies from all of this. And those who are into music, if you look at even the ancient structure of this prayer into the music, it is, I, I know this is very relative. I love it so much because it's so bouncy. I don't know if I, that's the right word, but like, it's like, it kind of goes, like each syllable has a beat because the church is, is like wanting to emphasize and highlight this, this unique prayer because it is so powerful, it is so full. So I, maybe full is not, I mean, it is the right word because that's our mission statement, right? We exist to, to, to follow Christ in the fullness. He is the fullness of life. We exist to connect people to the fullness of life, right? Even Jesus said those words. Like, so he, he is the fullness in which we desire to follow because he is the perfection of humanity and the divine. So, today's topic related to purifying our thoughts and our conscience and our understanding, I want to specifically talk about time management. You are busy, I am busy, we try to get everything done because we, we try to pack up our schedule and then the day gets behind us, away from us, and we say, where did the time go? Or we end up scrolling, and one video leads to another video, leads to another video, and then you look at the time, where on earth did the time go? But other things come up, I can't, I'm kind of busy, I'm unable to, to do it. But really, if we kind of look at our screen time, or we look at where else our time is going, then things begin to make more sense. So it's easy for us to get so distracted, right? We might be doing something, and, and then a notification pops up, and then we get distracted away from the thing that was a priority. I think we've all kind of, we've experienced that at some point in time. Or maybe someone is talking to you and you get a notification and you go, uh-huh, yeah. Wait, what'd you say? Huh? Because we get distracted, right? So I think we can relate to this comment. The things I get distracted by are never as important as the things I get distracted from. The things I get distracted by are never as important as the things I get distracted from. Because one distraction leads to another, one click leads to another, one scroll leads to another, one video leads to another, and then we realize where on earth did the time go? To me, this is one of my favorite times of the year. Right? I'm, uh, you, I say it, and I feel like I want to sing it. It's one of, my, one of the, my favorite times of the year. Not Christmas, but the fall. Why? I, I like it for many, many reasons, right? Uh, football. We're back into like a rhythm, a routine. Summer is kind of like the craziness of summer. And don't judge me on this. There, there is a long extended period of time of no fasting in the church. That's another reason why I like it. So there's many reasons why I like the fall, right? Um, so, but uh, what I want us to think, and he, here's my conviction for you and for me. As we begin this fall season, and as we get it, we're already in the middle of a routine here of, 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 of life and school and work and the summer has passed us. There might, for many of us, this might be the season that we need to assess a habit in which we need to break. There might be a relationship in which we need to restore. Or it might be a relationship in which we need to break, which we know is toxic and leading us in the wrong direction. Or maybe for some of us, like this is the season where we need to be serious about paying off a debt. This topic that we're talking about today is very personal to me 
because one of my biggest struggles in ministry is time management. Like, because, I don't know if you want to say it's a blessing or a curse, whatever you want to label it. Like, you might have more of a structured way to your time as far as where it goes. To me, like, uh, no, no, one, no one checks up with me on Wednesday to say, like, you know, did you get Project X done or did you finish? No, I'm, I'm ultimately accountable to God. So my time could go in any direction. So the stress of where my time goes or what's a priority or should I label this as a priority or is this not a priority and where, where should I put my time is something very personal to me. And one of the inspirations of why I wanted to share this is um, the bishop of our diocese, his name is His Eminence Metropolitan Yusuf, at a clergy meeting, he gave us a talk about how to have healthy boundaries in ministry, how to have healthy boundaries in ministry, and I really liked it. But to go, before we go any further, I want to share with you a story that kind of captures time management skills in such a great way, and it's about a person, a prophet, by the name of Saint Nehemiah, Nehemiah. So he is from the, around the year 444 BC, uh, and he was a Jewish man who was mixed in with other groups of people in different points in time, right? So the Jewish people had been taken um, in, in exile and were kind of thrown around, and there's different people ruling over them. So the Jewish people were kind of dispersed and kind of everywhere in this point in world history. And different countries were trying to control the Jews. So uh, just to highlight, there's three main countries that kind of were kind of tossing the Jewish people all the way around. The Assyrians came and took them captive. The, ba the Babylonians came. This is where we get the story of Sidrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for those who are aware of that story. And then the Persians came and took control of the Jews. But when the Persians came, and specifically King Artaxerxes, let me try to say that 10 times fast, King Artaxerxes in Persia, he basically told the Jews, hey, listen, you have the option to go back to your motherland, go back to, to Israel, or you're more than welcome to stay here. Totally your call. You have the option to do as you wish. So some decided to stay, including someone who was pretty up close to, the, to, to King Artaxerxes by the name of Nehemiah. He decided, decided to stay, but him being a Jew, his heart was still belonging to Israel, but he decided to stay in Persia or being under, you know, with, with the Persians during that time. And then someone came to Nehemiah to, to, to share a message about what was happening in Israel. Because as some of the Jews said, oh, great, we have an opportunity to go back home. So they left and they went back to Israel. So as now you're trying to rebuild your country, the Jews are going back to Israel and are wanting to rebuild themselves, build the economy, build the city, so forth and so on. And a big thing for them was rebuilding the walls around the city. That was an integral part for them to reestablish themselves as Jews. So Nehemiah decided to stay with King Artaxerxes on, on this side, and, and here's the Israelites. Some of them migrated back home to their motherland to rebuild Israel. So some people who were building, rebuilding Israel had some issues. They had some struggles. So they decided to come back, and they wanted to tell Nehemiah and King Artaxerxes as far as the update, as far as how the rebuilding process is going. Those people who were rebuilding, they came back to Nehemiah, and they said, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. So they've came back, they tell Nehemiah, man, are, are, are the, wall, the wall that we used to have, it's been burned down, it's utterly destroyed, and we have a serious problem happening back home in Israel. And they're telling this news to Nehemiah. Some people 
might hear that. At least if I was Nehemiah, I'd be like, well, may God be with you, you know, pray about it, <laughs> right? Just, that's tough luck. May God be with you. Hire more contractors. I'll be with you. I'll pray for you. My thoughts and prayers are with you, right? Nehemiah could have easily said that. But something struck him. His heart was broken when he heard these words. He could have, he's in his own bubble, not in his own bubble. He could have easily fallen into the trap of being in his own world, right? He, everything was fine with him being in, with, with King Artaxerxes. He's in his own bubble. He could, people are rebuilding. He could have said, that's on you to figure out. You know, my thoughts and prayers are with you, and that's it. But it broke his heart when he heard this news. And for those who have been in St. Mark Church for, for a while, you know that I love this question. What breaks your heart? Because the thing that breaks your heart is different than what breaks my heart. But what allows us to thrive as being followers of Jesus in the mission of the church is you come with what breaks, what's heavy on your heart, what breaks your heart, and I share what breaks my heart. And we're able to move forward together and build his church. So it was clear what broke Nehemiah's heart. So Nehemiah wanted, he got permission from King Artaxerxes to go back to Israel and to rebuild the city. But as he's now using his leadership skills and using management skills as far as delegation is concerned and wanting to rebuild the wall, he ran into some issues, understandably, and expected, you expect issues to come. And it comes from a man, one of the guys, by the name of Sanballat. Sanballat. I think that's how you pronounce it, but Sanballat. So here's where we pick up in the story from Nehemiah chapter 6. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, by the way, I've read this story many times, uh, but now all of a sudden I realize there's somebody named Tobiah because I have a son named Tobias. You know how it is when you buy a new car and then all of a sudden you always, you see that car everywhere on the road? So now I've, that's like what, it, that, that to me it's the same. Now, now, now all of a sudden I notice the name Tobiah. Anyway, when word came to Sanballat, to Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt, this is Nehemiah talking, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time, I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. So here's Nehemiah talking. We're rebuilding the wall, and we're doing good. All of a sudden, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the, and some Arab guys, they all started to come and nag us as we were almost done building the wall. And here is what Sanballat said. Come. Come, Nehemiah, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. We'll, we'll get to his reply in a little bit. But here is some, these guys are trying to distract Nehemiah from the task at hand. Nehemiah is focused on the task at hand. And all of a sudden, a notification pulls up by the name of Sanballat in his, in his, in his, in his group. And they're trying to distract Nehemiah from the task at hand and trying to pull him away from what he is in the middle of doing. And how does Nehemiah respond? I am carrying on a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? This, this is the emotional part. This is, this is the bread and butter, so stick with me here. Why this hits me so much is because Nehemiah is on a mission to build the wall. And distraction comes his way and is trying to drift him this way. But his eyes, he knows what breaks his heart. He's trying to, to prioritize the right thing. And he's saying, 
I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. How many of us, we have great plans and dreams and visions for, for, our, for our family, for our work, for our personal life, you name it. But distractions come our way and we drift and we're like, man, where did the time go? Where did this week go? Where did this month go? I, I, I had all these great plans and it kind of drifted away because distractions come our way. There are certain things in which we have to say no to in order to say yes to others. Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. The first time this message really hit me uh, many years ago, I went to Facebook Marketplace um, because that's where we get a lot of our stuff uh, at our house. And I saw this and I instantly met up the guy to buy it. And this, I, I took this off my wall in my office at home because the, 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 the cursive is intense. But it's saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Right? You can, this is mine, you can get your own. But the, why I love this so much, because this reminds me, well, as I'm working, that, and as st stuff comes, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Like I have a mission of being a servant of Christ. I am doing great work and I cannot come down. Or uh, uh, take this away from ministry. When I need to be fully present as a father, as a husband, and then I need to put other things aside, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. But please, Father Nate, this is emergency. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Even in parent, apply this to any aspect. But I cannot tell you what your priorities are. I cannot tell you what's important. But you need to determine what's your priority and what are things in which you need to say no to. What are things in which you say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Your quiet time, spending time with God more, the notifications and things that need to get done today that are highly time sensitive, I'm with you. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. You begin to questioning of why you're doing this service or why are you doing this task or why are you still dealing with this person or, or you, you feel like your parenting tactic with your kids is going nowhere or you, you feel hopeless, you feel like you're just going in circles. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing the great work and I cannot come down. The spirit of perseverance, of resilience, we see this in St. Nehemiah. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Four times they sent me the same, this is Nehemiah talking, you know, the, the Sanballat and Tobiah and all the, the, four times they sent me the exact same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. We, I don't want us to be jerks. You tell someone, oh, that's sorry, that's on you. No, sometimes the most loving thing I can, I'm, I'm speaking with myself, the most loving thing I can tell people, unfortunately, I cannot come, or I cannot do this, or I'm unable to help you. Because if I say yes to this, then I'm spreading myself out thin and I'm saying no to other things. So there's certain things and certain people you have to say no to. But be careful. Do not fall into deception. This is where we need to pray through this. Because deception could creep in. And we do what we want to do. And we twist this and decorate it and say, I'm doing a great work. I'm, I'm doing self-care. I'm doing self-care. And I cannot come down. And we brush everyone off, and we over-spiritualize it. So this is where we need to be careful. This is where we need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, to give us discernment, and, and for us to stand in front of God. And, and am, I, am I just finding excuses to get away from this or that? Or am I truly staying with integrity in front of God? Or are there other people that can keep me accountable? Of me truly, am I being, am I being true by saying, I am doing great work, and I cannot come down. 
or another translation, obviously, I am carrying on a great work and I cannot go down. Nehemiah had the temptation of following the immediate over the ultimate. He had a temptation. Or he could have easily told Sambalat, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, I can come down. I can finish this later. And he could have put the wall aside. And he could have, but he, he fought the temptation of keeping his eyes on the ultimate as opposed to the immediate. This is why the church, in its liturgical richness, puts in front of us language to keep our eyes on the bigger prize. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. Amen. Lead us throughout the way into your kingdom. This becomes the lens of how I move through my responsibilities, my pressures, my own struggles. I'm pushing through. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. This has to be the lens of how we move forward. He fought the temptation of not following into the immediate over the ultimate of something he wants now over what he values more. There's a lot of things you want, but you have to determine what is valuable to you. You cannot do it all. You cannot do it all. I cannot do it all. But you have to determine what is something you want or what's valuable to you. And let me make this clear. There is a season for everything. I could bore you of the dreams I have. Personally, for the church, I could, I could, I have dreams. But I have to continue to remind myself, what's, what, 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 what like, I, there's a time for everything. This might not be the, t the right season for this. What's the great work I need to do right now? What are the things that's a no altogether? And what are the things that are for later? I need to continue to remind myself, this is why I always see it in my office, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. We have to fight the temptation of following into the things that are optional and it becomes a priority over the things that are essential. We have to make those hearts, and I am not in a position to tell you what your value list is. I can propose stuff to you, but that, 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 that's between you. I cannot tell you. Just that video said, he said, if your priority is to scroll and watch, you know, 42 YouTube videos a day, no one can tell you that's right or wrong. He says that, what's the word he said? It's not immoral. That, that's on you to decide. If that's a priority to you, then you could say, I'm doing a great work on YouTube, and I cannot come down. That's on you to say this. So no one else can tell you if, if, if that's a great work or not. But you need to determine, what do you want your story to be? What do you want your story to be? Something that Nehemiah struggled with as he was building, and as you can see, this beautiful time management skill, it was not a scheduling conflict. It's not like he told Sam Ballad and his crew, um, is it okay if we do 9 o'clock next at next Wednesday, uh, can we do that? Do you mind sending me a Google invite? Maybe we can, we can do it then. It wasn't a scheduling conflict. It was, no, it was just, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. He was saying it respectfully, this is a no altogether. So there are certain things we have to say no to altogether in order to say yes. It's not trying to squeeze it in. No, there's some things I have to say no to. I'm not going to share examples because then you're definitely going to judge me of being super jerky if I tell you. But there's certain things I have to say no to. I have to say no to certain people and to certain things and to other and to, and people. I, I have to say no. It, it's not about a scheduling conflict. It's about a priority of understanding what's that great work I'm doing and I cannot come down. It's not a scheduling conflict. It is a priority conflict. What are your priorities? You and I can agree on this in theory, but the execution of it is the stress. We can agree. You, if you tell me what your priority list, I'm with you. 
And maybe a close friend, a spouse, or someone next to you will be like, for real? That's your priority? Because how you manage your time or what you say no, yes or no to, that doesn't reflect that. So you might know your priority list, and I'm with you, and I probably agree with your priority list, but it's the execution is the stress fart. It's, it's not a scheduling conflict. It is a priority conflict. We have to stress over the question, what do I need to say no for now, but it is not forever? What are the things I need to say no to now, but not forever? Like, yeah. Like, I, there's so many things I want to do in ministry. Uh, like, so many things I want to do. I, I don't want to share it. So many, but I know this is not the season for that. Like, right now, we, we have some building stuff. There's other things going on. We got to get ready for life groups coming up. By the way, that's my no shame plug. For life groups, you can sign up now in the app. There's a time, like, there's some things I need to say no for now, but it's not forever. There's some things I need to put for later. Because the, every decision that you and I make compounds on top of each other to lead to something so much bigger. So you are writing the story of your life with every decision you make. You can say that sounds cliche, but every decision that you make is building upon another decision. And it, it's setting the trajectory of where you might go. So the issue is not what your priority list is, but what are the things that you need to say, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. It's not a scheduling issue. It's a priority issue. The rest of the passage goes like this. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, this is Nehemiah speaking, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Do you know why I think of why I like this story so much is because there's no miracle that happens. Because some people can write off a, a passage from Scripture and be like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, whatever, if something came from heaven, that, that's a God thing, that's a miracle thing, and they dismiss it. But why I love this story so much, there's no supernatural event that occurs. There's no miracle that happens. But you see God working in Nehemiah because he had his head on straight of understanding what are his priorities, and he went to town with it. He, he executed on it. And because of this, God partnered with him and worked with him and through him in order for them to complete building the wall. So my question for you, what is your wall? What are your priorities? What are the things that you need to get done and then you have to say no to other things? What are your priorities? In theory, we would agree, most likely, because we most, for the most part, have similar worldviews. So I'm with you. But then that thing comes in, that commitment comes in, and you might have to be in a tough position where you have to say, no, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. The direction in which you go by saying yes to certain things, no to others, this determines your destination, not your intention. You have great intentions. I have awesome intentions, but the intentions mean nothing. By the way, this is totally off topic, but just because I know there's a wedding later today, uh, just thinking of the next sermon. <laughs> the, the, this is why Orthodox couples do not say, I love you, I love you too, till death was part. Till the, I don't even know what the words are, but they, they, that doesn't exist in ancient Christianity because you can have great intention in marriage of saying the right thing, but that doesn't determine your destination. 
it's the direction in which you take and the sacrifice and the uncomfortable decisions that you make day in and day out. That determines your destination of where a marriage goes. Not having great intention. Everyone loves each other on wedding day, right? You have great intention. But it's the direction. It's the execution of it. This is what determines your destination. So I want us to assess. You can assess your priorities. That's fine. But I, I think that's more... Don't dwell on that because you have good priorities. It's not about your priorities. It's about what do you need to say no to in order to say yes to others. What, what is your wall that God is asking you to build and focus on? There are other things maybe in your career or personal life or hobbies. That it's, it's not no forever. It's just no for, 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 for right now, but it's not forever. What are the things you need to focus on right now that's your wall? What are the things in which you need to say, I'm doing a great work. I don't see the fruit of it. I don't get it. But I know I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we know that you are doing a great work within us. But sometimes because of our busyness or our priorities are off, that we lose sight of what you want to do within us. Lord, I ask that you give us this boldness, give us this strength to know what our priorities are and for us to make those difficult decisions, for us to maybe have those difficult conversations, for what are the things I need to say no to in order to say yes to others. Give us the courage to, to hold on to these words which Nehemiah beautifully laid out for us. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. We are your children, Lord. We ask that you work within us. And for us not to be tied down by all the different pressures and things of this temporal world, but our eyes are locked in on you because you are the resurrection of us all. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.